Lord, we thank you um, that it's not that's not late at all. But uh, you're right on time, and we're right on time. And so, Lord, we're asking, Lord God, that you would open up our eyes so that we can see what it is that you are doing. That you would open up our ears so that we could hear what it is that you are saying. Lord, we want to be a part of it. And, Lord, sometimes we think we know what we're doing. And we get ahead or we get off track or we start doing things our own way. But, Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you would cause us to be aware and sensitive that we would be able to make the adjustments that you want to make in and through us so that people would see you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, um, this, uh, I think I was here April last. Is I was looking to try to see um, when I was here last, but um, since I saw you last, um, I was in um, Hawaii this last summer ministering, and when I was there, um, I was there for about 30 days almost, and I and I had my family come over, and I think we I ministered about 23 days um, during that time, and my um, and my different daughters um, they flew in at different points and times and and left at different times because they all have jobs and different things, so we couldn't all be there for the whole time, and. And um, one day we went to the beach, and normally I don't go to the beach because it's really difficult for me to um, uh, minister um, at the meetings and, and, and how much time it takes before and after and everything and still and be in the sunshine and, 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 and still feel like I have the energy to do everything I'm supposed to do. So, but when my kids come, that's different because I, I find a way to push myself a little bit further, right? So we're at the beach, and we're just hanging out. Um, all four girls were there that day and, and my wife, and, and we're having a good time. And finally, one of my daughters says, hey, you know, can we go to another beach? We'd like to go somewhere where we could jump off the, you know, the cliffs the rocks into the water and do something a little more adventurous. So, you know, we decided we're going to drive down about 20, 25 minutes uh, to another beach. And so we pack up the car and we we go down to this other beach and we get there. And as soon as we get there, my wife realizes that she's lost her cell phone. And so, you know, we're, we're uh, at least she can't find it, right? So, so we're a little bit irritated, you know, maybe me more than others, but on the inside anyway, right? Because, like, now we got to go all the way back and we got to, you know, waste the time that we were supposed to be hanging out together. And so, you know, we let my daughter stay there and we drive back to the beach. And we, when we get to the beach, um, you know, we had to find a parking spot and there wasn't much parking. We're on the North Shore in Oahu for those that have been there. And um, so, um, um, you know, we get to the beach, and um, I find a cough drop on the beach, um, which was the same brand that I was sucking on, because after I was speaking, my throat, a lot of times, I, so I, I, I suck on these cough drops, so I find one, and so I go, well, this is where we were, so I start digging where the cough drop was, and I start digging in every direction, I'm digging like six inches underneath the sand, and I'm hoping that one of the times when I'm digging and, and, and plowing through the sand, that I'm going to come up with her cell phone, but to no avail. I'd never come up with this cell phone. And in the meantime, um, you know, my wife is praying this prayer. She prays this crazy prayer to the Lord. And she says, Lord, if you love me, then find my cell phone. You know, so my wife, she says, um, 
uh, she says later that maybe I didn't have the right attitude when I prayed that, but nevertheless, that's the kind of relationship she has with the Lord. Sometimes you can, you know, have a correspondence in a certain way. And, and, and so, you know, um, these people are next to us, not too far away, and they're like, hey, weren't you guys that couple that were here um, with all those girls that were here that were laughing and, and, and giggling and, and, and things? And like, yeah, I think that was us. And, and, and so they said, well, what's going on? My wife says, well, I can't find my cell phone. So in the meantime, while we're talking to them, they have a 10-year-old son that is out in the ocean, and he is diving um, to the bottom. And you see, like, his fins come up every once in a while. He's got goggles on. And all of a sudden, like, he comes up out of the ocean with my wife's cell phone. It has a green case. It's a black, you know, it's a black iPhone with a green case on it. And he walks up, and, and my wife's like, oh, my gosh, how did you find that? And he begins to tell the story. And he says, well, when I dove to the bottom of the ocean, he said, I saw the word love written in cursive in pink at the bottom of the ocean. And he said, so I reached out to grab that word love. And when I went to grab that word love, this is what I came up with, your cell phone. You know, and it's just a fun story to tell, but, you know, like the reason why I tell it is one, you know, is, is to help us to understand or to help us to paint a picture that God doesn't just want to be a part of our meetings. He wants to be a part of every area of our lives. And he cares about the little things. He cares about the big things. He cares about it all. Amen. And that, you know, these are opportunities like you know that you know I, w- I felt frustrated at one point felt like somehow we're going to be robbed of our family time why can't we keep track of our phones and be responsible and things that dads sometimes worry about or start to lecture about and and you know and instead we end up getting to lead this family to Jesus because God uses these things that we think are mess-ups, these things that we think are inconveniences, and he uses them as opportunities, right? And the whole time, God's wanting to have a dialogue. Not only is he wanting to have a dialogue, but he's wanting to show himself, right? And my wife prays this crazy prayer, Lord, if you love me. (laughs) And guess what? God showed her that he loved her. Right? Because he found her cell phone. <laughs> and then he has this kid testifying about the love of God. Amen. You know, and, and God has a sense of humor too, right? At the same time. Because, like, you know, that night we went back to the Airbnb that we were staying at. And my wife's, she plugs her cell phone in. And it's been under the ocean for probably at least an hour, right? And it charges just fine. I, on the other hand, have not had my phone underneath the ocean for any amount of time, and I plug it in, and my phone has an indicator, a little, you know, sign that comes up and says, you have to wait to charge your phone because there's water in the port. You know, I, yeah, I was, that's what I was saying. What God, do you love my wife more than me? What's the problem here, right? You know, but God has a sense of humor, Amen. You know, a matter of fact, we were on the big island just a little bit later than that. And, you know, we, we ended up using that story um, to tell this guy because we're, we're shopping, window shopping. My daughter was at the YWAM, um, you know, there. And um, 
which was a powerful experience all by itself. They had teenagers, you know, that were, you know, ministry kids that are running to the altar and taking their razor blades out of their cases and throwing them on the altar to, to get right with the Lord because they were cutting themselves. These, were, these are not just kids that are like, these aren't just kids that are like, you know, worldly kids. These are kids also that are coming, they're coming from ministry homes, church pastors and, and, and missionaries. And, and, you know, some of them were coming and they were, you know, they, they, were, they were recommitting their lives to Jesus. You know, they were running as fast as they could. And they were throwing their vapes up there. I mean, she was showing me videos that was powerful. But while she's doing that, we're like window shopping one day, right? Um, because we're going to do a conference in a couple days, and we're window shopping. And we go into this store, and this guy is there, and he's the manager of the store. And, he, and he's, he's there, and, and, and pretty soon he starts talking to us, and he says, he's, he says yeah, I'm just, you know, things are, are rough right now. I'm just having a hard time. And, and so, you know, you know, pretty soon we start telling him this story just about the phone. I don't even know how it came up at that point. Something about God came up, and, and so we, we shared that story. And then pretty soon he's like, would you pray, would you pray for would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? God's given us words of knowledge for his family and for his marriage, and he's balling, and he rededicates his life to Jesus. You know, over and over again, God, he's, he's looking to use every single area of our life. Amen? He's looking to do that. He's looking for opportunity. He's looking, to, he's looking for us just to be aware of his presence. Amen? You know, and, and on the other hand today, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about in some ways, but it's discouraging to see what's kind of going on in terms of sometimes the church. And, and, and you, know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, there's a, this thing that came out in Kansas City right now. Um, with Mike Bickle and, and, and some of that stuff. And, and I don't know if some people have heard about that. And, and then there, there's, you know, um, you know, the prophets that were out before that, that you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's disturbing, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I have a friend that he'll write online sometimes about things, and I'll wonder, like, why does he even, why does he even do that? And, and, you know, and then pretty soon he's defending people and he's defending even people in ministry and ministers and things and saying, well, you know what, we just need to be praying for him. Well, you know, yeah, on one hand we do. And then on the other hand, we need to be who we're supposed to be. And we need to hold people to a place to say you need to be that. Amen. If you're going to say that you're a believer, then you need to act like you're a believer. You need to live like you're a believer. Amen. I'm not just talking about because you just had some kind of a, a little thing. But over and over again, I'm watching people manipulate people, control people, and use them for their own. Amen. You know, and, you know, a lot of times I want to defend people too, you know. But, like, you know, in this case, there's a 19-year-old girl that gets a house rented by the minister, let me tell you what, that's more like a sugar daddy. That's more like somebody in the world that's pimping somebody out than that is like a pastor. And I connect with these streams. And I'm telling you what, that's not something that we should consider to be acceptable. You know, uh, you know when, on one hand, I look at it like, okay, you know, you got two adults. And then the other hand, if I put my, myself in the shoes of somebody that's a father, 
and that's my daughter? Come on. There's got to be an authenticness in us. And I'm just telling you that if there's not people that actually have been in the presence of God and have been transformed on the inside, then they're going to be using things for their own rather than to one to glorify God. I mean, if I was a pastor today, and let, let me just be, you know, I, I know I'm being raw and I'm being, I'm being out there for a moment, but like, you know, I think about, you know, I pastored a church. And I think about today, sometimes I think, you know, it would be hard for me to think about putting my kids in some churches. That's a sad thing. To feel like that we're not any safer, like with people in the church and knowing that people have our own background. But see, you know, it has to start with us. Like somehow it has to start with you and I. Like we have to, we have to be that, right? Like, you know, like at some point we have to be able to come to God and say, okay, you know, I believe that the word of the Lord is like that God would say to us, if you would give me your everything and you would be all in and you would totally live all the way for me, that I would be all in for you and I would give it all to you because that's the kind of God that we serve, amen? Like I believe right now that one of the things that God is at war with, and I don't even know if it's the right word, but he's at war with the non-authentic in terms of the believer. Over and over right now. You know, people are talking about that things would be exposed and, and, and all of these things that words were coming out in terms of the church. It's, it's, not, it's not just a future word anymore. It's already happening. I mean, there is something that's going on, right? You know, and most of us, we're not necessarily the ones that are, you know, necessarily at fault. But then we can say, okay, you know, but where are we really? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just living in a way that's just hoping that God would somehow just do something for us? Or are we living absolutely sold out in love with him, wanting to hear from him, wanting to know him? You know, because I feel like there's a place where we, we could really measure that in regards to, like, like where am I during the week, right? Like, where am I, you know, on a daily basis? Is, or, or is am I just meeting with God when I make it back to the meeting? Am I just meeting with God when I make it back to church? You know, because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says something crazy there. But most of you know that verse there is simply this. It says, it says that, that there is a, a people that are Christians. As a matter of fact, if you read the first four verses before that, you'd find that a list of all kinds of sins. And I'm not here to really point out or to try to list those sins. And then it, but at, toward the end of the list, it really comes to people that are in the body of Christ that are actually attacking other people in the body of Christ like slandering, gossip, tearing down. So Paul's trying to say, you know what, this is not okay that we don't have each other's back in the church. We ought to know that we have one another. We're not just like tearing people down over stupid little things and petty things like the world would do. But we love each other and we have each other's back. But then Paul, in that context, he still says this. He says, there are a group of people here that are in the Christian world, that they have the image or the form of godliness, but they don't have the power of. I mean, that's a big deal. Like, think about, like, 
when Paul says that. Jesus or Paul, neither one ever said, like in regards to, to non-believers, what he's about to say in this verse. He says, with people that have an image or a form, but they have no power of God in their life. There's no testimony of the transformation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their life. He says, have nothing to do with them. Now, let me just tell you from, you know, because I seem like I got intense for a minute, but like, that so goes against my normal way of wanting to live. Like, to think about, like, that I would not want anything to do with someone. I mean, I've spent my whole life, you know, even as a minister, I mean, under the idea that we're trying to figure out how to create a place for people to belong. And yet, there, and yet there's this warning that is from God. There's this warning that, you know, and, and this command, really, that is coming forth from Paul to say, that there are certain people, though, that you're not to have anything to do with, and they're not of the world, they're of the church. Like, that's the big deal, right? Like, because Paul doesn't say that about a non-believer. He says it only about believers that have that. You know, I'm, I'm for the first time, I feel like I'm beginning to understand why. For the first time. Like, you know, I, I've been preaching the gospel for probably 36 I think some years. And and I just now get get why. And it and it really comes back to John 17. And and that God says like unless they can see us for who we are that they won't know who God is. And now we have all kinds of stuff going on in the church. We have all kinds of stuff that's going on in terms of like, you know, just because somebody believes in the name of Jesus somewhere or that they say that they believe in that, that that means it's authentic or that it's real. And let me tell you what the Bible's showing us here. That nobody knows what the real God is. Because you cannot take the spirit of Christ and blend it together and unite it with an antichrist spirit and still come out with Christ. You can do it in name and you can do it in image and you can do it in form, but that doesn't mean that there's any substance of the gospel that's left. You know, and I'm not trying to be mean this way, but like, you know, I'm so thankful. I'll come back to John 17 in a moment, but... I'm so thankful that when I gave my life to Jesus that that people didn't tell me that I could stay the way that I was and still come to Jesus. I'm so thankful that people didn't say, well, you know what, you could stay in your bondage and everything will be fine. I'm so thankful that people told me that I needed to die to myself and that I had to be resurrected into a new nature in Christ Jesus. Because, I mean, how, how do we know today? You know, there's so much uh, counterfeit uh, worldly social pressures to try to be something that is so stolen and robbed the gospel of the power of. See, like, the, the issue isn't like my identity when it comes to the world. 
Like the very, the very issue that Christians are trying to figure out their identity is the very problem that we have. That we think that somehow this is about us. That we think this is somehow about our, our lives and, 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 and about, about us personally and our wants and our whims. When the gospel itself is about dying to self. It's about being crucified on the cross with Christ Jesus. It's about not having an old nature, but having a new nature inside of him. I mean, I, I was in fights all the time before I gave my life to Jesus. I mean, I got in so many fights. I was kicked out of school so many times. I, I was knocked out on my high school dance floor, uh, bleeding to de- bleeding and choking on my blood where I had to have uh, uh, an aid car come in and give me CPR because I was drinking too much. And, 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 you know, I'm just saying, but you know what? Guess what? Jesus isn't a brawler. That's my point, not really to glorify my sin, right? I was thrown into a barbecue at one party because I drank too much again, got in a fight with a guy that I had a beef with from eighth grade football. I was a sophomore, and, and, and you know, when I had too much to drink, he decided that he was going to throw me into a barbecue, slip my back all the way from the top of my shoulder blades all the way down to my lower back. I still got a scar there to remember for the rest of my life. The football team actually dropped me off on my porch. because why? See, But that's not who Jesus is. Guess what? When I gave my life to Jesus, I had to die to my old identity. I'm so thankful that, you know, my, my new identity in Christ was not to be a drunk, not to be a brawler. You know, before I knew Christ, I mean, I didn't have any morals because I didn't see the point. I didn't see the point. Like, you know, people say, well, I believe in God. Well, what's that have to do with anything? I don't believe in God just because you believe in God. You know, sleeping around. See, but, see, but Jesus isn't an adulterer. That's not who he is. Right? So you come to Christ, you're no longer an adulterer if you were an adulterer. Could you still commit adultery? Of course you could, but is that who you are? No. Who... Who, who you are is now Christ. That's your new nature. You see, my point is that God is an equal opportunity employer. We have churches now that are deciding that we should put people that have a character that's not the character of Jesus in a place of ministry rather than tell people that they ought to die to themselves. See, Jesus isn't a homosexual. Jesus isn't a transsexual. He's not thinking about having a sex change. See, the thing is, like, the church a lot of times spends all of its time trying to figure out what it's against. But, like, the point isn't about what we're against. The point is, regardless, like, every single one of us had a nature that we had to die to. And, and the point becomes, like, you know, that there is this thing in the church right now in terms of the culture that we're living in that wants to get us to add Jesus to whatever we think it is that is our plan, our identity, or whatever else thing that it is, rather than it being Jesus. And you know where the church is headed that way? It's to this thing that's called universalism. 
where nobody ever has to repent. Nobody ever has to change the way that they live, their mindset, their behavior. They don't have to have a relationship with God. They don't have to do anything. So everybody, even the church, becomes totally immoral. And I'm not a big, like, I'm not trying to figure out what's wrong with people. Let me tell you, I I do not want to know. I've heard too many things I don't want to know. If you got issues, that's fine. I just want you to get right with God, live for God. You know, none of that stuff, you know, bothers me. Amen? But, but But I am telling you that there has to be an authentic place with God where we actually have to make sure that not only have we died, but we're staying dead. That there's not a resurrection of us. But there has to be that we are rooted in him and our identity is found in him. Amen? And that's for every single one of us. So, you know, like we can preach the gospel boldly because it's, it's not a bother about what the issue is or what it is that somebody else doesn't know in their relationship with God or doesn't know about God. It's just simply, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to require you to die. It's going to require you to die to yourself and to be resurrected in who Christ is. Well, who is Christ? Well, you're going to have to spend some time with him to get to know the character of who he is so that you can live in that. Amen? It's not just the form of godliness. You know? You see, but authenticity is you can bring it all before God. I mean, that's just one side of the coin, right? But, like, do you know, like, here, here's, here's what I believe. I believe that if somebody doesn't figure out how to live in being who they are, like, if you don't figure out how to rest in your identity, and that's not really who you are, like, it hasn't come out of a transformation, that, that what's going to happen at some point in your life is you're going to hit crisis. And if you haven't hit crisis yet, you will eventually. Every single one of us, we go through it. And, and, and if you haven't figured out who you are or you're trying to be something, and, 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 and I'm just saying this because from the institutional church standpoint, there is a pressure to try to create image in our culture, not you guys, but, the, but in, the, in the culture. And, and there's pressure to try to look like I got it together from the outside. But if I don't get it from the inside, so what happens if pressure comes and I can't live up to the idealism of what it is that I'm supposed to be underneath the pressure, then eventually I'm going to cave. And I'm going to say, forget this. I'm going to go ahead and I'm tired of being something that I'm not. And I'm going to figure out how to just say, throw caution to the wind and I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. Because we don't know who we are. And we see people falling all the time under those kind of pressures. Amen? I mean, I just think about like, you know, even in the church sometimes, you know, we're, uh, you know, I, you know I, had a, I had a daughter um, that was sick almost her whole life growing up. My oldest one. And, and she had a particular uh, uh, sickness that I'd never heard of before. And, and they still don't really know for sure what that disease is um, necessarily, but she's like, you know, she's doing a lot better, but her whole life, I mean, like in, in high school, she, um, you know, she barely even went to high school because she could barely get out of bed. Now she's, she's graduated from graduate school. She's teaching. She's, she's thriving. 
But, like, you know, my daughter, my daughter would tell me, like, um, they tell me more stories now that they've gotten older. But, I mean, we did these conferences called impartation conferences, like my, um, for over 20 years in our state. And people would come from all over the nation. And, 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 and then we'd have people that would pray for her. And I remember, I remember, like, she, you know, she was phenomenal. We, she'd go on mission trips, and I, I remember she'd prayed for people that got healed and all kinds of crazy things, even though she was sick, you know. And then she'd be at the altar, and I remember, like, people would, you know, start, re, you know, she would say that people would rebuke her, things that I didn't even know because she didn't get healed. She said, you know, she'd start faking whether she got healed because she, she literally would, would, would want people to feel happy that somehow that she got healed for them, um, you know, rather than, you know, even being concerned about herself, right? And, and you know, and there's a culture sometimes, and, you know, and I'm just kind of, you know, throwing that out there because, like, you know, there's a culture that sometimes tries to get us to feel like that we, that we can, that we have to fake it. Not just when it comes to healing, but like, you know, even in the faith movement, there's a thing about, you know, healing that, um, you know, that oftentimes people will, you know, they'll be, they'll, they'll feel like there's something wrong with them if they're not healed. And they think that they can somehow, they can somehow, um, you know, uh, speak healing rather than actually have some kind of revelation that comes from God in terms of healing. You know, and many ministers over the years have, have been afraid to even tell people that they're sick somehow. I was telling pastor before the service, a guy named Casey Treat in the Seattle area, he had leukemia for years. He was a faith preacher. He didn't tell anybody for years. He was going out on the road and ministering. Why? Because he was a faith preacher. And a faith preacher meant that you were supposed to believe in faith that you were healed and something would be wrong with you somehow because you didn't, because you were sick yourself. And so he hit it and he suffered. He suffered individually, and he suffered because he couldn't walk through it in terms of community, amen? But see, like, that's not even really faith. Like, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which is actually God speaking. So, like, if God doesn't speak to you somehow, and you don't have some kind of a revelation, it's not necessarily faith. I mean, that's hope. There's nothing wrong with hope. But confusing hope with faith and now heaping condemnation and shame on top of it. I've watched people die trying to fake it because they just believe that it had to be positive from positive thinking rather than it being God himself. Amen? Let me tell you what it takes faith to do. It takes faith to say, you know what, this is really what I'm going through. This is real. I'm sick. I, I'm having relationship problems. I'm having a problem with my job. I'm having a problem with whatever area of my life. And I'm believing God to do something. And then we're going to stand and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to be in relationship with him. And I'm going to wait to hear from him. And when God speaks, then I'm going to allow him to do something with it. Amen. Like, I don't have to pretend, amen? You know, like, like it's foolishness in the church sometimes, you know, that people have, you know, uh, there's a guy I know, um, Bill Hammond. Uh, uh, he was like 87 years old. And his wife, I think, was like 87, 88, 89, something like that. And she passed away. And, you know, he got, he got wrote all kinds of emails and nasty notes that said, like, you know, you, you are a fraud and you're a fake because your wife died. Because she got sick and she died at 80, 87, 89 years old. I don't remember. I mean, 
There's only two people that have got off this planet that I know of from a biblical standpoint that did not die. And Jesus was not one of them. And I believe in healing, okay? I've seen people, and I'll tell you stories even tonight probably, of people that got healed, okay? I believe in healing. What I'm saying is I don't believe that we have to fake it. I believe that God is big enough, (laughs) that he's bigger than all of that, that we can come in our authenticity of this is who we are and this is what our problems are and present to God. What brings God glory isn't that you pretend like you're not sick or you pretend like everything's all right in your life. What brings God glory is you bring him all of the ugliness, all of the tragedies, all of the hopelessness, all of the problems and say, okay, God, I'm giving it to you because I am not able, but you are able. But there's pressure on the church. You know, this is part of, the, part of the problem from the institutional church right now. That we got CEO kind of, you know, conglomerates basically that we want to make sure that the business doesn't fail. It's too big to fail. And then we get taught that because it kind of trickles down, right? We get taught that somehow that, you know, we have to pretend like everything is okay. Amen. See, revival isn't pretending like everything's okay. Like revival is admitting that that sometimes we're dead, um, admitting that sometimes things are dead in our lives, and allowing God to resurrect those things, to resurrect them to newness of life. Amen? Amen. And I, I would say that sometimes the church can't be what the church needs to be because we sometimes can't admit that we're living in a dead place. That we have to present the dead to God because he's a God of the resurrection. And he's not looking for us to present things to people or to the world or those around us so that he would look good. See, that's creating image. That's creating form. Amen? But there is an authenticity that comes from just sitting and being in the presence of God. That there's a transformation that begins to come on the inside. That begins to manifest on the outside. Amen. That begins to change things. That creates the testimonies. Amen. That all of the problems are meant to be opportunities. It's the power of God. I mean, you can just see in all of these different areas, amen, that God need, he, I, he's looking for a people that are authentic and are genuine. And that's what I'm looking for. Like, I, I, I do not, I haven't lived this way in a long time now. Like, you know, the way I speak, um, my voice goes up and down and I pace around. And, you know, some people try to do that, and they used to try to do that from a That's just my personality. It really is my personality. If you get me on the phone, this is how I talk, just like I preach. But it's not about how you do things and how you don't do things from the outside. We're not all supposed to be the same. We're not supposed to come into a place of being conformed. We're supposed to come into a place of being transformed. Amen? Amen. And that's that image. And there's so much of it today because of media. I mean, 
I mean, it's crazy. I look at myself on the screen, I mean, and I'm this old, bald guy. That, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I don't even want to see myself anymore, you know. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, man, it'd be fun to be a TV preacher. And then God's got a sense of humor because he waits till you look horrible, and then he puts you on TV, right? But, well, you know, why did he put you on TV when you look good? You know, I don't know. You know that's a whole nother, That's a whole other issue, right? But like I'm saying, we can get so caught up in image today, you know, even with the, you know, the social media, even though there's so much greatness to it, there's so much horribleness to it too, you know, you know, I, I, I prefer not to even say anything on social media anymore. Because I have no idea like why everybody that decides that they have a voice has credibility. Like, if you have no relationship in, with people and you don't know that anybody cares about the people that they're actually talking to, and you're supposed to give authority to every single voice? I mean, the authenticity is like, I mean, the reason why we do this is because there's a need for community. We have a need for each other, and we have a need to be involved in community and in relationship with one another, amen? But if the first and the foremost is not about how to connect with God for yourself, amen? Then out of that, you know, see like, you know, in John 17, Jesus is praying the prayer there. The context of what I was speaking about just a few moments ago. Jesus is praying the prayer there. He's, he's praying, Father, make them one, just like you and I are one. That's the context, right? So Jesus is saying, some people, they don't understand that, but Jesus is of the exact same substance of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the exact same substance of the Father and the Son. And Jesus actually tells us, and and actually in Ephesians chapter 2 as well, that we are actually of the exact same likeness and the exact same substance as the Father and the Son when we get born again. That's what we've been given inside of him, amen? So that means that the prayer, like here, some people don't understand it in the church. They still think that we're praying for unity. We're praying for unity, meaning that everybody would get along externally rather than recognizing that what Jesus prayed isn't the most unanswered prayer. It actually was fulfilled every single time that somebody gets born again in the unity that's created in the, and the same substance that's created in you as a believer with every other believer. The moment that you get born again, you were made one. The problem is this. Not everybody has revelation, meaning that they haven't heard from God. And so people in the church, they have stuff that they don't know that they have. Like some people still think that they're what they used to be. Some people haven't spent any time with God. They went to an altar and they gave their life to Jesus and they went to church and they've heard people say things, but they never spent any time with Jesus. So it never became something that they owned, something that became a part of them, something that was inward that happened inside of them that made them know that they're not the same person that they used to be. Then they also don't know because they haven't heard God tell them that they are that they have something that they did not know that they had. You know, a lot of people still, they believe in this religious thing that God's out there somewhere instead of God being in here. And even though he is out there, he's also in here too, amen? And, and you know, there's this crazy thing, like it, it, it kind of, I, I kind of have a beef with it. Maybe it'll just rip the carpet out from underneath you. I don't mean to do that tonight, but I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, 
in rare form tonight, maybe. But like, um, God's not in control of everything. And I hate it when I hear believers say that. Well, God's just in control of everything. Well, no, he's not. And you know why? Because he chose not to be. Yeah, he gave people free will. As soon as he gave people free will, he wasn't in control of everything. And he chose not to. Like, people do stupid things. I mean, for real, right? I'm not talking about any of you guys in here, of course. None of you ever do stupid things. But, but I mean, there are really stupid things, right? Like somebody chooses to get highly intoxicated and drive a vehicle, and then they hit someone and they die. And then people are like, why would God let that happen? Well, God didn't let that happen. The possibility that it could happen happened because he gave somebody a free will. Somebody could choose him, and they could choose to live according to his ways, and they could choose him or they could choose not him. But because God so loved people and because he so loved us, he chose not to control us, which is oftentimes the opposite of the religious spirit because the religious spirit wants to control and wants to manipulate. But see, God chose to give you the freedom to love him. He never forced you to love him. He never made you love him. And because of that, he created possibilities that could happen where he would not be in control of all things. But then he created you and I as the church to be the ecclesia, to be the called out ones. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you. And then there's a prayer that we pray all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reality is you are meant to be the answer to that prayer. But some people pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And what they're hoping for is the sovereignty of God somehow to go from being out here to whoof, and it's all of a sudden right here. And there are times that there are miraculous and there is the signs and the wonders. But then there are the most of the time in which God is coveted with his people to say that I'm going to show up and I'm going to release kingdom through you. And I'm going to do it through the authentic people that have actually been in relationship with me rather than just do it as the sovereign thing that I would do. Now, like, see, you have to understand, like, sovereignty. You know, sometimes when you talk about churches, people think about sovereignty. We're a sovereign church, meaning we make our own choices. Yes, you make your own choices, but you also have constitutions, and you have different things that guide you about what it is that you will be, and you will decide what you're going to be. Well, that's what God did in the Bible. He created a covenant, and he said, this is what I'm going to do. Some people say, well, God can do whatever he wants to do. No, he can't. God, God, being a good God, decided that he won't just do whatever it is that he wanted to do. This is how he was going to do things. And one of the ways that he said that he was going to do things is through his people. And he was going to do it through his people. And one, it took people being with him, learning to figure out how to hear his voice, to know his presence and to figure out how to be in a place of community, to, out of that love, to learn to love other people, both those that are believers and then those are, that are of the world. And that it's in that context that Jesus is trying to pray, Lord, Father, 
make them one, just as you and I are one, right? And here, I'm going to read verse 15 here for just a minute, in, in, um, starting in verse 15 of John 17 here, so that I can, I can kind of break it down for you that way. But it says here, um, in verse 15, it says, I do not ask that you will take them out of the world, talking about the believers. I mean, there's a lot of people, that's how they pray right now. You know, I just want to be taken out of the world. Personally, I don't understand that. Um, I think God's heart's for people that don't know him. And I think that as much as he loves us, he loves them. And I feel like the reason why God would ask us sometimes to draw a line between what is authentic and what's not authentic is because of them. And that's really what I'm trying to get at here, right here. But he says that you will keep and protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, worldly belonging to the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify, consecrate, and separate them for themselves and make them holy. He's talking about the Spirit of God in you. What made you holy wasn't just that you could do things to be holy. What made you holy is that he is holy and he put himself in you. See, like if Jesus would not have died for you, that would not be possible. You could not be made holy. It was because he died and he put himself in you that you were now able to be that, right? It says, by the truth and your word is truth. He's talking about the reality of God. And in verse 18, he says, just as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In other words, this is, this is what he's saying that we're meant to do, right? Like, th this is the same as understanding our nature as the church, so that we're the ecclesia, that we are the called out ones, right? He's sending us. This is what he said, said that we're meant to do. And then he says, and for their sake, and on, on their behalf, I sanctify, I dedicate, dedicate, and I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, dedicated, consecrated, made holy in the truth. And in verse 20, neither for these alone do I pray. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but also for all of those who will ever come to believe in. Meaning that's you and I, right? The ones that would come to believe in, trust in, cling in, Cling to, rely on, to me through their word and their teaching. And they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. Let me read that again. So that, you, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. This thing of like knowing <laughs> that we are of the same substance, of knowing that we are one in the body, of knowing who he is, that our identity comes from that place, of who the Father and the Son are in relationship, and having that kind of relationship with one another out of a place of authenticity, the Bible says, is how the world will know who God is. I believe that the world's confused right now by who the real church is. Who is God? Who is Jesus? 
It doesn't seem like any of them agree on any of it. It seems like they all behave differently. And it feels like that none of them really have any of the same substance of God that is living through them. They all have ideas, and they all have religion, and they all have all of that. But where is the real God? Where is the real church? Where is those that actually have relationship with God, that are actually having power, that are actually having some kind of a substance that's manifesting out of their lives? And not just in terms of like what we call the great miracles, whether it be healing or whether it be prophecy or it would be the super mystical or spiritual things, but the ones that are just simply able to love. The ones that are just simply able to have character because they do love. Like, I mean, the character that we have, isn't it really because of love? I mean, I could do whatever I feel like doing just because I, I'm an adult and because I'm 18 or I'm 21 or this or that. But what's my restraint? The Bible says, right, even in the new year, everybody says, right, like, you know, unless we have revelation, the people of God, that they would cast off restraint, right? Why? Why would we restrain ourselves? Why would we choose not to have affairs? Why would we choose not to steal? Why would we choose not to treat each other badly? Why would we try not to abuse people? Why would we not use people for our own accord? Why? Because we love God and we love each other. We want to protect our relationship with God and we want to protect our relationship with one another. And because we have the heart of God and we've been with him, we actually want people to see him that don't know him because we actually have a love for what he has, a love for those that do not know him. And so we do everything we can to live out of that substance of God, the oneness that God said that we have been given, which is the Holy Spirit that's the same substance in our brothers and sisters. And so we don't talk badly about one another. We don't tear down one another. Why? Because we know when we're doing that that we're tearing down God. We don't just act in whatever foolish way that we feel like acting because we're in love with God and we're in love with the body of Christ and we're in love with the world. You know, some people are just mad at the world today. And I, and I cannot figure it out, to be honest with you. Because, like, you know, I, I've, I've been surprised that I found out so many Christians haven't read the Bible. It, it surprises me, really, because, like, I got born again, and I wanted to know the Bible for myself because I didn't want somebody else to tell me. I mean, I, maybe I was a little cynical, and I didn't believe that everybody would tell me the truth, but I really wanted to read it for myself so that I knew what was in there. And so, that, you know, that's, that's what I did. I tried to figure it out, you know, try to figure out, like, what's in there. I need to know. I need to have my own relationship with God because <laughs> I need other people to see something that's authentic and real, right? And we miss it sometimes, you know? And, you know, the issue is, like, how do you create that, that place yourself with God? How do you sustain that? Like, you know, even, even in Matthew 16, you know, the Bible talks about like, that, that's where that word church or, or that word ecclesia originally comes from, right? Like church is not that we met together. We call it church in our culture. But, but church actually is that word ecclesia. 
In the New Testament, that's what it means. Like, I know we have cultural church, and I have no problem with that, like saying we go to church or whatever, because it's just a part of culture, right? But, like, if you want to know in terms of identity, Jesus said you're a called out one. That's who he said you are. You can say you're whatever you want to say you are, but that's just not who Jesus said you are, and that means that that's not who you were created to be. You were not a called in one. You're a called out one, which means that you were supposed to be seen, and you were supposed to, other people were supposed to see you. But your substance wasn't supposed to come from image or outward or form. Your substance was supposed to come from the inside, right? From your relationship with him. And in Matthew 16, the Bible says that Jesus is walking with his disciples here. And it says that they're coming from a place called Caesarea Philippi. And the, 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 some of the disciples begin to ask him, you know, um, you know or Jesus asked him, asked them originally, he says, well, who do, who, do, um, who do men say that I am? And some say, well, you know, uh, you know, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and then, and then, you know, and then finally Peter rises up and he says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. See, and right on that moment, Jesus says, Jesus says to them, he says, to Peter, he says, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. He says, he says, on this rock, I will build the ecclesia. I will build the called out ones. That's what he's saying there. What's the rock? The rock was that Peter actually heard from God. This was like the first time really that, like, that one of the disciples actually heard from God for themselves and began to declare what God was saying. And it wasn't long after that that Jesus said, I can go. Because if one other person could finally hear from the Father, then he could go. If you remember last time I was here, I was talking about Psalms 91. If for some of you were here, and you know, and that was the whole passage of Scripture where it says to abide. And I talked about that the word abide actually meant that, you, that you, it is to be able to know what the Father's doing and to do it. It means to speak what the Father's speaking you know, and to be able to say what it is that he is saying, right? And that was even in the Old Testament in Jesus' day, and then for the New Testament, right? And then Jesus modeled for that, saying, you know, whatever the Father is doing, he says, that's what I do. Whatever the Father is speaking, that's what I speak. He says, I never do anything that's not that. That's a big deal, right? And then, and then now we have Jesus trying to show, show the disciples. He's asking them. He's testing them how to have their own relationship with God rather than just relying on him. And yet we still have people in ministry trying to do that, people in leadership still trying to do that, right? Rather than trying to get people to connect with God for themselves, they want to be the answer. Like sometimes we get our value from that. Our value is not supposed to become from our gifts or from our abilities or something that God would use us in. It's supposed to be from helping others to have their own connection with God. And maybe one time they come and we have something for them, and the next time they come, you know, we're like, okay, you need, maybe we need to do it together. you got to figure out how to have your own relationship with God, and maybe eventually you got to release them because why? Because we have to reproduce. We have to reproduce ourselves. We have to reproduce Christ in other people, amen, by showing them how they have their own relationship. So Jesus is doing this by asking them questions that would provoke them to have to learn are how to connect with the Father for themselves. And finally, Jesus says, after he says all of that, in in Matthew 16, um, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. 
right? And, you know, anybody want keys to the kingdom? Hopefully if you're here, this, that's the reason why you're here. You want keys to the kingdom, right? And he, and he says there something that's different than what most of us know in church. And most people in church, they, they know it this way. He says, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that is biblically incorrect. The correct translation there actually says that whatever you see bound in heaven is what you have authority to bind on earth. And whatever you see loosed in heaven is what you have authority to loosen in earth. See, we have a watered-down version of church today where we think we just run around and speak positive, confessing things based on our knowledge and think that somehow we're going to experience kingdom. We don't experience kingdom by what we see, by the image, by what other people are getting from the way that we perform. We experience kingdom because we have people that live from a place in the kingdom. And they live from that place and they bring it by experiencing it in them and they release it where it is that they go. And they have authority to do it because they are the ones that have actually been with God. Amen? Like how do you hear from God? Like, Because whether, whether you've had an encounter with God and whether you have an experience with God, that's the difference. That's the thing. Like, the more that you've had that with God, the more that God has talked to you, the more that you've fallen in love with him, the more that you've surrendered to him, the more that you've yielded to him, the less likely that all these other things can trap you or snare you or cause you to fall into this non-authentic thing where you're doing it just for your own agenda. Like, how do you hear from God? Because that's important, right? Because we don't all just hear the same. Like, the Bible says that only the Holy Spirit can teach you. Like, you know what that means to me? That there is a place. There is a place where only God, the Holy Spirit, can teach you how to have a relationship with him. Nobody else can teach you how to do that. Like, I can stand up here and teach. Your pastor can teach. Lots of people can teach. But somebody called the Holy Spirit is the only one that can teach you how to have a relationship with the Father. You think about it, like, nobody else can show you how to have a relationship with another person. You have to learn, like, what's their body language? What's their tonal influx? What is their, their, their way that they speak or the way that they use words? And what are they trying to actually say? Because a lot of times the words don't always have, it doesn't encompass enough to get the whole thing, right? You have to have all that. Like, I mean, if I get excited and my voice goes up, my wife will be like, why are you yelling? Well, I'm just excited. I didn't mean to be yelling, right? But as a man, I, so my voice is way lou louder, and she wants my voice to be a little bit lower. But, like, you know, we have to learn how do each other communicate. You have to actually be in relationship with God to know how God communicates to you, right? And so I think about that a little bit, you know, and I'll, and I'll try to walk us through that just for a moment, but, like, you know, in my own relationship with God, I remember um, I was laying on the carpet of my church, and I've been doing it for hours, and I remember that all of a sudden, God started communicating to me in an unusual way, and that was that I'd start seeing flashes of lightning bolts in my head, and I didn't know what in the world that was about. At first, I'd never even thought anything about it. 
Um, I just kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. I just having these pictures and lightning bolts, or and I started getting fascinated with lightning bolts during that time in my life. And then I remember I invited a guy named Randy Clark to our um, impartation conference, and he spoke there. And um, and he was the guy that was known for impartation, and he and done so much ministry in terms of healing in Brazil and different places and brought it back and God was using him that way here in North America and so and so um you know I invited him but the I was the first one to the altar when he gave the altar call that night and the reason why I was hosting the conference is because I knew we would pray for people till four in the morning and I did not want to be there till four in the morning so I was like you know I didn't go up there first and I'll get prayed for that way if I need to go I can go and, and I go up there and I get blasted by the Holy Spirit I literally I fall down on the ground I'm in the fetal position up there laying on the ground I don't like to do that necessarily but that's where it was happening to me and I'm down there and I'm down there for hours and so, um, you know, and while I'm down there, I remember having these open visions again of, of, of like these, these lightning bolts in my head and, and things. And I was having this major encounter with God. And so I remember toward the end of the conference, like I'm, uh, you know, I remember just like after that, uh, I'm talking to some of the guys that were cleaning up and stuff. And I remember, I remember just stretching and I felt this electricity go out of my shoulder and I saw this lightning bolt like hitting my shoulder at the exact same time. And I, as a matter of fact, it was so real to me that I was startled that no one else saw it. It was like I was waiting for somebody to, to respond. As a matter of fact, I even said to one of the guys, did you see that? And then they looked like they had no idea what I was talking about. So I was just like, oh, okay. And I just kind of went on and changed the subject or something. But then another guy, his name was Steve Thompson. Some of you may know, uh, there's a guy named Rick Joyner. Uh, um, and Steve Thompson used to do the supernatural school uh, for their ministry at one point. And so Steve Thompson, um, he had texted me. He didn't know I was doing a conference. He didn't know we were doing any kind of ministry. He texted to me and he says, my intercessors are seeing you right now like Benjamin Franklin that's flying a kite with all these lightning bolts going on and there's keys at the bottom of this kite and he's saying these are keys for a new power and a new authority in the kingdom. And so I'm, I, you know, I, I'm just like, you know, you know, trying to figure out where in the world that this came from, you know, and, and, and he says, stay humble. He said, he's just trying to be like a father, but he's like, and, you know, at the same time, now, God, I'm having experiences with God that are actually on somebody else's radar. Intercessors that I do not know are now uh, being texted to a friend that, from a conference that he did not know that I was hosting, and I had no correspondence with him probably in about two years. And all of a sudden, right, you're on somebody's radar. Why? Because sometimes God's trying to teach you a new way that he's communicating. Amen. And so then, I'll, so then I'm off, and I, I'm doing this retreat in Maui, um, Hawaii. And so I'm just kind of trying to walk you through how God would use, you know, a particular way. Because sometimes we just think, you know, prayer is boring. Or we think, like, the way that we're connecting with God is boring. Or, or we just see it as the same old, same old. And we just hear, well, we think we're praying out loud, and that God's going to talk to us the same way as everybody else. But he's trying to teach you how does he talk to you, Right. 
And so, you know, it doesn't mean he just does it in one particular way all the time. He could have more than one way that he communicates to you. So now I'm in, doing this men's retreat in Maui, Hawaii. And, and, and so I'm, I'm there, and I'm the finale speaker, right? And these other guys have been there all week long, and, and, and they're not really happy that I'm there. I'm a howly. I'm the only outsider, and, and, and they, um, they don't really like it that, uh, that I'm there, I feel like. And I, I'd been in Hawaii before, and, and, and some people had, you know, not really appreciated, you know, the white people and the Howley people at that particular time. And so I was already anticipating that. So I'm not believing that the Holy Spirit is actually even going to use me. And so, um, so I'm, I'm the last you know, the last two um, um, sessions I'm supposed to speak at. And so I'm there, and I'm, um, I, 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 go to, I go to pray for these guys, and I have this guy that's helping me. His name is Mike. They call him Drunk Mike. And Drunk Mike, like, he would get intoxicated by whenever you talk about God. The, and he would just get, like, intoxicated by his presence, right? Not, like, alcohol or anything like that. But he's, like, he's, so he's being intoxicated by the presence of God. And so he would tell me, like, if, if we're driving, don't talk about God. Because he was supposed to be the one that took me around the line. Well, now he's supposed to help, like, stand behind people in case people fall, right? And so he's standing behind this guy. And I'm arguing, actually, with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, God, they're never going to receive from me, like, and stuff. And, I, and, and so I go to pray for this first guy. And the Holy Spirit just just comes all over this guy, and he falls down. He's way bigger than Drunk Mike, but Drunk Mike's standing behind him, and Drunk Mike gets way more hit than the guy that I was actually praying for, and this guy falls on top of Drunk Mike, and he, like, pancakes him, right? He's like, and Drunk Mike is laying behind him with his hands open like this going, you know, sorry, I guess I'm not able to help you anymore is what it seemed like he was trying to say to me. And I just keep, so I just keep praying for guys, right? And people are going over and people are being touched by the Holy Spirit. And I'm getting more intoxicated as I'm praying for people. And, you know, finally I get to the end and there's like 400 pounds Samoan guys and stuff like that that are, that are going over. And I remember at the end of all of this, this is what I'm trying to get to, is that there was these guys called the Surfer for the Nations. And they, and they would go to Muslim nations and they would teach people how to surf and they, um, and, and, and they would use that as a way uh, to share the gospel with, with Muslim people, like a bridge to share the gospel, right? And so they came, kind of came burnt out, but now they're starting to get touched by God um, during, during their time there, and, and they're kind of getting more inspired again. So now they come up, and they, after, you know, a, afterwards they go, hey, can we pray for you now? So all these guys, they, you know, they put, you know, they put a big circle around me, and I'm in the middle, and they start praying for me. And when they start praying for me, I look up, and I see this lightning bolt, an open vision of this lightning bolt that's coming, like, right at us. And all of a sudden, like, while they're praying, we all end up getting, like, thrown out about two feet in every direction, and we are laying under the tent on the ground, like just saturated in the presence of God. And we lay there till about three or four o'clock in the morning. And we're just and we're just enjoying the presence of God, right? So you know, like there's no tangible thing to know like what God's done. But like here, here, here the next day though, there's something tangible that happens. We meet, we meet again and we start to pray and we start to pray for people to be healed. And this one guy, I remember this one, and there was like 12 people that got healed that morning. And and I remember we, we were praying for this one guy in an eye patch on. And he takes off his eye patch. And that, nobody knew really even what was going on with his, his eye originally. He just said he couldn't see out of it or whatever. Finally, when we started talking to him about praying for him that morning, he takes off his eye patch and he says, well, I can see like light and dark and, and shadows and things, but he couldn't even see that before. 
So now he's getting like some sight in his eye, and he's the one that I remember, right? And so like, you know, so now the guys are really excited. God's doing something, and God's touching. I go to preach at this other church that night. And and while I'm uh, and, and while I'm there, these guys run in. They were supposed to go back to Oahu, where they were based out of. They run in with this guy, the eye patch, and they bring him up on the platform. They interrupt the service and they begin to testify. This guy's sight had totally come back in his eye. He could see all the way. And now, so God breaks out in this place, you know, and, and everybody's ministering over everybody, and people are being touched. Amen. But like, it all starts with this thing with the lightning bolt, right? Just a way that God communicates just to say that this is a way that you'll know I'm showing up. This is a way you'll know to trust me. See, because sometimes people think faith is just somehow like this thing like where you'll never know. You're just stepping out there in a way to be boldness based on your knowledge. No, it's supposed to be some kind of a prompting or knowing that it's God. You're following him, not just what you think you're supposed to do for him. See, Jesus, like, he, that's what he was trying to say, right? Like, I never do anything that the Father's not doing. I never say anything that the Father's not speaking. And how many times do we do that in church? And then say it's God. We're supposed to be following that kind of relationship with God, right? So I end up in Pennsylvania, and I am getting close to closing here in case you guys are wondering if I'll ever get done. But, like, um... So I'm in Pennsylvania, and I'm ministering outside of Harrisburg in this church. And, and, and while I'm there, um, I was just going to pray for people for an impartation. I was just going to pray for the people in general, right? And so I'm praying for them. And there's a lady in a wheelchair that was there that night. And I knew she wanted to be prayed for, but I had no, like, no prompting of the Holy Spirit, no feeling that God had said anything to me about what to do. But I did feel like I should pray for her finally because just out of compassion because I'm praying for everybody else, so I'm not going to just skip the one gal that's in the wheelchair, right? So, so I finally I come over to her, and I put my hands on her. And as soon as I put my hands on her, I hear the Lord speak. And the Lord says to me the words neurological connections. And he says it three times. And so... And I just repeat after God. And while I'm repeating the words neurological connections, I see this blue, like scanning back and forth over her head. And this white lightning bolt that was coming down on her head. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but because God had been showing me that he was showing up whenever, and that was an indication of his presence or him being there or doing something, I knew that God was probably doing something. And so I say neurological connections on the third time. And as soon as I say that, this woman, all of a sudden, she starts to yell out. And she goes, I see, I see, I see. And I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is that she's seeing what I'm seeing. She's probably seeing the blue electricity going back and forth on her head and the white lightning bolt. And so I figured that's what she's exclaiming about. And I was just happy that somebody might be seeing what I'm seeing. And, 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 you know, and so I, you know, I had a little extra boldness because of that that day. And I stuck out my hand, and I said, hey, do you think you could get out of the wheelchair? And she takes my hand, and she starts to get out of that wheelchair. And, you know, her legs are weak, but she starts to stand up out of that wheelchair. And she stands up, and she starts to walk really slow, like slower than I can even really, you know, even almost demonstrate because she was just taking little baby steps, right? And then she finally has these women surround her. And they start praying with her, 
and I turned to the side, and this man standing there, and he's got tears coming down his cheeks, right? And it's, it's her husband. And he says to me, he says, you know, he goes, let me tell you what's happening. He says, three and a half years ago, he says, she had a stroke. And he says, he says, since then, she hasn't been able to walk or talk. You see, like, when she got out of that wheelchair, I thought that she couldn't walk. And she couldn't. But see, I thought that that's when God was healing her. But God was actually healing her the moment she said, I see. Because she hadn't even been able to talk up until then. You know, and my point is really this. Like, you don't have to understand anything. Like, do you, do you know what disqualifies you from being used in the body of Christ? It's really that you think you know what you're doing. Like, the reality is that none of us know what we're doing. The only thing that any of us have is our ability to be aware of what he's doing. And when we can participate in what he's doing, now we get to experience things. And then people will sometimes think, well, look at, you know, God used you to do this or that. Well, it doesn't really matter because if you can figure out how to connect with God, it doesn't matter what you know. Matter of fact, the people that are the least qualified are the ones that think that they are qualified. And the people that absolutely think they're not qualified, well, you're probably the ones that are actually the most set up to be used by God. If you could just trust him, amen, and surrender your insecurities to him, amen. See, I had no idea what I was doing that night. I have no idea what I'm doing on any night. I just, I just believe that if I could figure out what it is that he's doing, even just some of the time that I can experience him at least some of the time. And that other people could experience him too, right? See, the authenticity of our relationship with God isn't because we've arrived. It's because we've actually been with him. It's because we're not just living in a way that's from the outside, hoping that people will think that we're something. It's because we've decided to endeavor to try to figure out how does he communicate to us. that Not just because we want him to communicate to us, but because we just want to be with him. And the extension of that is that all of a sudden, people start to experience his reality in our reality. That we, there, there's, there's another scripture, and I didn't mean to go here, but it says this, and this will be the, the, this will be the close. But Revelations 9.10 says, the beginning, uh, um, fear is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God, I'm, I'm, I'm working it out of my head. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? And, and as a matter of fact, let, let me, let me um, I think I have a mark somewhere. Proverbs 9.10. In my Bible, it says, it says, the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning, the chief and the choice part of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight and understanding. You know, you know how I break that down? I break it down this way. It, that, that the fear of the Lord, that that means that I'm more worried about what God thinks about me than what anybody else thinks about me. I'm more worried about what he's thinking about what I'm doing 
than what anybody else is thinking about what I'm doing. And the last, the last part of that, the second part of that verse, it says, um, is this, it says, and the knowledge of the Holy One. Now you think about it. That word knowledge is something different than what we would use as knowledge. It's not talking about your head knowledge or what you know in terms of, it's about the one that you know and how well you know him in terms of the relationship. And it says that that, when you have that with the Father, or the, in, the, in the Amplified here where it calls it the Holy One, it says that then there would be insight and understanding, which brings a different idea there, right? One, the insight is about the revelation of God, that you would begin to hear God speak, that he would communicate to you the way he communicates to you so that you could walk in an understanding. That Hebrew word there, understanding actually means that you so understand it that you're actually doing it, that there is a practical application in terms of manifestation, that there's something that is actually able to be experienced. That's a big deal. Do you know, like in other places in the world, it's totally different than our nation. Matter of fact, stuff that people think is crazy here is normal everywhere else, even in terms of manifestation. But like, but when it, when it, when it, when it comes to uh, the Bible and the Bible being preached, much of the world like says, okay, there needs to be something that is outward to, to literally say that you are who you are. That there has to be something of substance of the kingdom. Like in other words, you're not allowed to preach healing in certain places and certain ministers would not allow you to preach healing unless you have actually been healed or you actually have seen other people be healed through your ministry. Like you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't believe in healing because your church or your doctrine says you believe that God heals. You believe in healing because it's become understanding, meaning that you so understand it that it's a part of your life. Like you don't just you don't just get there, like you don't just arrive there. You don't just one day wake up and say, Oh yes, I believe in this or I don't believe in that. There is a journey. It's not just agreement because somebody says this is what it, it's it's the it's it's that you process in relationship with Holy Spirit where he begins to unpackage the ability to, for you to believe in a reality that would not have been believable unless you have that kind of intimacy and unless you have that kind of encounter or that kind of an experience with him and his kingdom. Amen? Are you guys getting anything out of tonight? One person? All right. Praise God. It was worth it that I came. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is a good God. Hallelujah. He's a worthy God. He's an able God. Lord, we thank you tonight. 